Hey everybody, this is Rob Liefeld. Welcome to yet another edition of Rob Observations. Once again, jam-packed show. Couldn't, I mean, it's it's a happy meal of a show. It's a definitely, this is a combo pack of a show today. We have a lot to actually unpack. We are still living and basking in the afterglow of just an incredible weekend of comic book standouts between uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League epic four-hour cut, which I like more and more and more and love more every time I see it. Um, the standouts to me are Jason Momoa's Aquaman. He's just more, uh, just he, he just has more something. I can't put my finger on it. It, it, it. There's more essence. There's more edge. I think he's 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 funnier. He's more regal. He's more troubled. The action is way far superior. Again, every time I watch the uh, Justice League this this last weekend. And I've had it on uh, several times. One of the things you got to understand about me is is from the outset of my career, even when I was um, preparing to get into this this business, uh, I was always uh, uh, drawing in front of, of of mainly repeats movies I'd already seen. That's why HBO Showtime was so great to me. You know, I can I can listen to Commando or Die Hard or Star Wars or whatever I've seen before again and again and again. And no problem whatsoever because I know what's happening. I just hear the dialogue. I can look up occasionally and participate, but it, it takes away from the, the the silence. And, you know, I think writers need silence. Artists need noise. I need noise. Uh, the guys at Extreme Studios, when I had Extreme Studios in the 90s and Danny, Mickey, and John Sabal shared a really sweet, one of the bigger, more spatial offices and they both... Um, you know, their, 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 their tables were at different points in the, in the, in the building, but they would always have movies on, uh, that, that Danny would just play constantly. Uh, uh, you know, you'd walk in and they'd be, they'd be watching movies, they'd be watching TV shows, um, so that the noise would, would, you know, just, just accompany them as you're just sitting there putting lines on paper and trying to focus. It just feels better to have some noise accompanying you. So just, it's no different now, 34 years into my, my career, I, uh, I will queue up something I've seen already and I know what's coming. So now I know the first showing I'm there in my recliner looking at the TV, no breaks, four hours, just like so many of you did. But now I put it on repeat and I know, oh, here's, here's a cool part with uh, Mira and, and Aquaman. Oh, here's a cool part with, with, with Batman. And, and here's a cool part with Wonder Woman. I mean, I just, I just, you know, I'll cue myself back in to see certain stuff that I want. But it, I just put it on play. I just put it on play. So so I am really enjoying each and every uh, minute that unfolds of that. I'm so glad it exists. Again, I cannot believe the movement that brought it into being. We're going to get back to the Snyder Cut and Justice League. Later on, uh, at the at the tail end of the show, we're going to discuss the future. What, what, what does the future hold for this? And uh, I think you guys all know where the power lies. And, and we're going to discuss how that may play out. So we saw Winter Soldier... And the Falcon uh, debut this this weekend. Another one of the new Marvel streaming shows that makes just this entire Disney Plus uh, experience. It's not even an experiment anymore. It's an experience. I mean, they've Mandalorian proved just how effective. I mean, one show was driving the platform for pretty much most of the year now. Maybe your kids. My daughter loved high school, the musical, the musical, the series. Okay, that's that's actually the, <laughs> that's the long title of the show. She loved it, but that was that was over and done. That I don't even think they aired a second season of that, and we're already waiting for season three of the Mandalorian. But the 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 Vision Scarlet Witch kind of wore me out. Wore me out that there was a, a bit of a, a lot of misdirection going on in regards to that show. I enjoyed it. I've, I'm on record saying I've enjoyed it. I, I don't have rocks to throw at it. What I would say is when your director and your stars are coming out a full five days before your finale apologizing, saying they misdirected you, that there was some uh, some 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 sizable fibs they may have put on you, like like cameos and, and, and set all this stuff up. And then also that, that, that a, a giant troll trolling was part of the show. The Quicksilver, the Evan Peters was in fact, did in fact turn out to be a trolling, which is a, it, it, which is honestly a bridge that they hadn't crossed yet. But that bridge is totally crossed now, and I'm very wary of the troll bridge being crossed by Marvel again because, you know, now the, I would hope they didn't do it again because the it's the first non-clear touchdown Feige's had in probably eight years. It's not a touchdown. I talked to my buddies who run Collider and all these other websites, comicbook.com, CBR, Newsarama, all these different guys who interact with these sites, and, and they say that, I mean, you can see it. The, 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 the response is mixed. 
When did Marvel have a mixed response? I mean, it was just nothing but touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. Some of the mixed response is a result of the uh, false uh, expectations that they themselves set up. We didn't. We just went along for the ride, right? We did. I'm a fan. I went along for the ride. It took some swerves. Um, I think it ended with giant, massive plot holes. Anybody? Some of my buddies have have, have uh, 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 talked about Justice League and some of the things that didn't work for them. And yet I'm like, wait a second. Scarlet Witch held an entire town hostage, terrorized them. Some of them said, would you just please kill us? That was their option. They would rather die than be part of her um, menacing control that she exerted over them over the lifetime of this story that we were told in the series. And it was very troubling. You saw the times that Vision would um, rattle these people out of their 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 mesmerizing hypnosis or, or their control of, of, of that Wanda was exerting on them. And they were terrified. And they were like, give me my kid back. Let me play with my kid. I, I promise you. I mean, it was, it was really sad. She literally walked off at the end of the show, walked by with a wink and a nod to, to Monica Rambeau, who's like, yeah, catch you later. And you're like, what? Where are the ramifications for this? What What is the story behind the fact that she committed what is the most egregious criminal act that any Avengers has committed and just gone, walked away scot-free, completely like, whoa, I, I don't understand the ramifications of that story. It did not wrap up in any way logistically as, as one would expect. Uh, I, I just go, you know, they took the one guy into custody because he pointed his gun at a kid. Well, what about the woman who took a thousand people by their own estimation? They told us in episode four or five, there's a thousand people at least that she terrorized and and completely controlled. So very strange. And, and, and it just showed me that people do have different barometers. Marvel gets a different set of passes than maybe DC does. And it's just kind of where we are in the, in the culture. Star Wars also has a different set of passes that people exert onto it. But to the point of Winter Soldier, Falcon or Falcon Winter Soldier, I forget what the exact title is. I very much enjoyed it. That opening opening sequence with Falcon is one of the single best action set pieces in any superhero film or show that I have ever seen. Uh, kudos to them. The action choreography, the special effects, just mapping that entire sequence out was just breathtaking. It was the perfect way to open this new chapter for these characters. And uh, I love all the character work they're doing. Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan are ridiculously, ridiculously charismatic. Uh, I, I mean, I would literally, apparently they're going to be sitting in therapy and, 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 and just talking at each other. And I can't wait for that because they're both ridiculously charismatic. Um, I, 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 I apply that to the, the, the people. I always say ridiculously charismatic to the actors that just mesmerize me by just um, delivery of their lines. And I thought Anthony Mackie and the stuff with his family and them trying to keep the boat, although I'm going to be honest, sometimes my world is rocked. A guy on Twitter today said, here's what I don't understand about this storyline. And he's just like a user. And I thought it was really interesting. Or maybe it was, it was a comment on Facebook. I don't understand why he's Anthony Mackie. He's the Falcon. The guy in the bank even recognized him. Go online and start a, you know, start a UFundMe or start a Kickstarter to save your family's boat. He'd, he'd, <laughs> he'd have it paid off in the afternoon. I'm sorry. I don't have the username in front of me. It's not my idea. I, I, when I read it out loud, I'm like, that's really, that's really um, as applicable and as reflective of the reality that we live in as anything that I have seen. But uh, anyway, I, I'm, I'm excited to see how this unfolds. See Baron Zemo come back. The the ending with the U.S. agent is uh, was was great. Sets us up for a whole bunch of cool stuff to come. And on this one, I'm not trying to look down, look around the corner. Like I said, there was too much trolling on WandaVision. Maybe it was a good that, it, that, that 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 like the it was a snap turtle that came out of its shell and snapped us on our hand and gave us a little sting, so that maybe we stopped trying to look around the corner on these Marvel mysteries. I know it wasn't even supposed to come first. Uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier was supposed to be the launch show. At D23, that's what they had announced. And then WandaVision would have followed. But look, we got them in opposite order. And now I'm just kind of just like, whatever Falcon Winter Soldier gives us, I'm happy to take that ride. I'm happy to take that ride and, and watch how that pans out. Now, I love the Sebastian Stan story. I love all the stuff that he's dealing with in regards to his um, complicated past. And and I really have always been a huge fan of Bucky Barnes and Sam Wilson. Uh when I redid Captain America as part of the deal for Heroes Reborn, I made sure that that Sam Wilson was in the first issue represented. In my story, his father uh, is the one that has sequestered away Cap Shield all these years, keeping it off the black market, out of the government agency's hands. 
and when he finally makes contact with who he believes to be the Steve Rogers that he knew in World War II, he gives the shield back to him, and that's when all hell breaks loose, and Steve is assaulted, and this sets up the path that he would become reawakened and, 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 and realize that he's been deprogrammed time and time and time again and reawakened and reestablished and that the government was um, shutting Steve down and reawakening him every time that his memories came back into being. Does this sound like Winter Soldier? Because that is exactly the same story that was applied to the Bucky Barnes character when he reemerged as Winter Soldier. This shutting down and reawakening. I did it in 1996. I don't, you know, it's, it's, it's a trope. It's, it's a sci-fi trope. It's in a giant movie called Total Recall that I was inspired by, by Philip K. Dick, uh, the, the story that Total Recall was based on, the, the genius sci-fi writer that also gave us Blade Runner and so many others. Um, this idea of somebody being, you know, shut down, reawakened, shut down, reawakened when their memories kind of become troubling. I mean, I, I saw stuff like this on The Six Million Dollar Man when I was growing up. I, I've seen it in all sorts of different mystery and spy tropes and, and novels. And there was a great... I mean, I mean, look, Jason Bourne, the entire uh, Bourne identity, which was a TV miniseries based on the best-selling novel in the early 80s, way before Matt Damon played Jason Bourne. Richard Chamberlain played Jason Bourne. Jacqueline Smith, they're all in this killer uh, network miniseries. So the Bourne identity was a TV event miniseries before it was this, you know, uh, killer set of, of, of movies. And... Uh, which, which would then go on to affect James Bond in the way James Bond looks and feels. I mean, again, everything is cause and effect. You know, something works, other people adopt it. But the story of Steve Rogers being shut down, reawakened, was activated through, in my story, by Sam Wilson's father, who was a cook and had sequestered again away again this shield until he, you know, he'd been waiting. He knew Steve Rogers was alive and finally recognized him. They have this transaction, all hell breaks loose. Heroes Reborn kickstarts. Sam Wilson is transformed into a uh, superhuman when he takes, uh, when, 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 when Captain America gives him a blood transfusion in my story as he is almost killed by the very, uh, you know, Nazi propaganda, white supremacy uh, spewing master man, a, a living, breathing Nazi who has carried over his regime of terror through my book. And so Sam Wilson then becomes Falcon by the end of my story. Our Bucky is a girl named Ricky Barnes who has a decidedly different story, uh, comes from a troubled family. Her her brother actually hooks up with the World Party, the Nazi white supremacy regime that Master Man is running in the context of Heroes Reborn. But those characters are near and dear to me, which is why I was it was important that I inter interface with them, and they were part of my Captain America relaunch back in 1996. So uh, I was always a huge fan of Bucky Barnes, but I wanted to take a different tact and very much follow in the footsteps the way um, Frank Miller did with Carrie Kelly in putting a female in the role because that moniker, both Robin and Bucky, I thought could be easily, you know, switched. If Robin can be switched to a girl, Bucky is just as easily switched to a girl. So that's the route that I went and I got my Bucky via a different outlet and her name isn't Bucky Barnes. It's Ricky Rebecca Barnes and has a completely different uh, storyline, uh, origin, interface, interaction. Was my Captain America 100%, I mean 1,000% influenced by Frank Miller's Dark Knight? Uh, completely. There's, there's no denying it. It was, it was evident then. It's evident now. It's, it's undeniable. That's the easiest word I can apply to it. Uh, Frank Miller, you guys know how much I worship at the altar of Mr. Frank Miller. I think he is like this morning as I was preparing for this and walking from the laundry room um, back to the kitchen. I blurted out and I said, Frank Miller is just a god to me. He is just a god. And my wife's like, oh, we know, we know. Everyone in my family knows how much I totally dig Frank Miller, how inspirational he is. Uh, I, I literally, I don't know that I would have the career that I've had without the fire that he has put in my belly so many times over. So that I, I wear my influences on my shoulder, on, out on my, openly on my sleeve, out, out of my heart. That, that there, there's, there's not stuff that I, that I cover up. I, 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 I wear it very candidly. And, and so my Bucky was very much influenced by what uh, the, the, the gender switch that, that Frank had applied to Carrie Kelly. And we're going to get back to that. We, hopefully we get back to that because the Carrie Kelly gender swap really sets, you know, Robin then becomes a moniker. But Carrie Kelly is a completely different character than Dick Grayson or Jason Todd. Okay. So, so uh, 
you know that that, that that's kind of the 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 way that I played around with these characters because I love them so much because I grew up with them because you understand Captain America had his own book when I was a kid and uh, I I I was a regular regular purchaser right now on my spinner rack are all my 1970s Captain America's 12 rungs of Captain America and many behind them the stuff that I grew up on uh, Steve Englehart Nomad Steve Rogers actually stopped being Captain America for a period during the Nixon. Um, era where the country was very much embarrassed by the Watergate scandal and by Richard Nixon himself. And they have a storyline called Secret Empire, which was written by Steve Englehart. And the uh, the president has actually revealed to be part of this secret shadow cabal that is trying to take over the, the, the world. And, uh, you know, very much a bad guy. And, and Steve Rogers and Captain America come in direct conflict with him. And he, the president, who is not uh, depicted specifically to be Nixon, but is implied very much that that is who he is, kills himself. After this uh, has torn everybody apart, uh, you know, Steve Rogers throws off the the mantle of Captain America and, and throws his costume in the trash, as Spider-Man has done before him. That's also another great trope, is the superhero walking away, throwing their costume into the trash bin. Um, he became a character called Nomad, and Nomad has had many different monikers, but the guy who created the moniker of Nomad is Steve Englehart, and the Secret Empire story still holds up. I read it over um, right in January is when I really wanted to re kind of re-engage with all that stuff because I, as some of you know, I am one of my upcoming projects is I am doing Archie comics. Uh, su- they're, they're superheroes that I grew up loving. Uh, one of them, the, the most preeminent one, is the Shield. The Shield actually predates. Captain America as the very first comic book superhero patriotic character wearing a red flag, I mean wearing the American flag. So much so that his existence and the design of his costume uh, caused, and probably thankfully so, caused Simon and Kirby, Joe Simon and Jack Kirby, who we're going to talk about quite a bit here today, who created Captain America and Bucky. They altered the shape, size, and function of the shield that Cap had because it reflected the shield that the Archie Comics shield which was the top-selling patriotic character at the time. And then being so, Archie Comics contacted Simon and Kirby and said, you got, you are going to change this or we're going to sue you. And wisely, and this is why I think it benefited them, they made the shield circular. And it became very much a positive, I think, in the long term. They got that separation. And, and honestly, Simon and Kirby, because of their uh, amazing uh, talents, pushed Captain America, which was not a Marvel comic at the time, guys. This is not, Marvel Comics is not, publishing Captain America during World War II. They they are not a part of this yet. Cap gets backtracked into the Marvel Universe um, via when Marvel takes control of the character. But Joe Simon and Jack Kirby created, on their own, prior to Marvel Comics, Captain America and Bucky. And so much of what we love about Captain America and Bucky was established by these two top-tier, super-duper Hall of Fame, Mount Rushmore-level talents, okay? Simon and Kirby... Uh, I mean, again, Captain America, First Avenger, all of that is 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 Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. That movie that you love is steeped in their lore, in the legacy that they left behind, in the work that they did, in the world that they built. And uh, in that movie, obviously, we is where we see Bucky Barnes, depicted as Sebastian Stan, become Bucky. Okay, he becomes Bucky, and the sidekick, the partner. Uh, to to Steve Rogers and together they wreck all sorts of shop and 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 it's fun and at the end it follows on the classic comic book trope where Bucky is lost he is he is um, thrown and and in the comics it was a rocket and this I believe it was a train into the depths below and we believe Bucky to be dead Bucky Barnes no longer exists he doesn't he doesn't he he's no longer um you know he he is no longer alive or so we think but Here's the deal. The legend of Bucky did not end with that story because when Marvel picks up Captain America and starts depicting Captain America, the World War II aspects of those stories are rich, so rich that you want to continue to mine that stuff. And when you hear pages being flipped today, I'm going to tell you about my cheat sheet books. And my cheat sheet books are a product of, of a great, maybe the best recommendation I ever had, literally, and there are so many great recommendations. So when you hear that, you are hearing uh, my cheat sheet book and my those pages flipping. And my cheat sheet books are were published, uh, let's see when they were published. There's these giant treasury size. I mean, these things are like uh, 
10 by 12. They're big hardcovers. And uh, they are called literally just the Photo Journal Guide to Marvel Comics. They have one for DC Comics too. Published by Gerber. They have a volume... Uh, they, have, they, have, they have several volumes. And uh, I, I have A through B of Marvel. And then there is K through Z. Now... These are long out of print, and I believe they were printed in the late 80s, mid 80s, and Jim Valentino had them, and every page has a minimum of one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, of 20 covers on it. And it goes through the entire Iron Man run right up to 1989, Captain America, Thor, The Avengers. It, it, these are such great books. So many of you guys, and I got to pause here have been so kind because lately I've been out on the road promoting Deadpool's 30th anniversary with a series of different signings at all these great stores. I was at Zeus Comics in Texas. I was at Fat Collectibles in La Habra, California. And I was in Torpedo Comics in Orange, California. And at each stop, and I have to get used to this now because you guys are pausing to tell me how much you are enjoying this show. And I am so thrilled when you guys share with me. And several of you have told me how you love the, um, the comic book history that you're learning here. And see, that's I'm not here to teach you. I'm here to share what I love about comics through the timeline of my own collecting. And that, fortunately for me, starts at 1974. In, in, I, I dedicated, I started grabbing stuff regularly in 1975 off those three corner markets on, <laughs> on Magnolia and Broadway. But, but prior, in 1974 is when the, the, the barber shop, when my good buddy Fred the Barber was swapping me out Marvel Comics for my Richie... And Richie Rich and Casper and Archie comics. And that's, in 1974 is when I got my, you know, Fantastic Four 146, 147 and Prince Namor versus the Fantastic Four and the Frightful Four and and and, 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 and the way that I was getting those comics was via my barber who had giant stacks and I would probably go see him every four weeks so I'd reload. He was always really generous with the trades because he just said, I just need comic books here, and, and these are my comics. And so he was a comic book guy, and then he put them in circulation in his store, and then he was able to allow me to trade my childish comics that I had for his cool Marvel comics. What a cool guy. Rest in peace, Fred. You were the best barber this little boy ever had. Um, that was a fresh bowl cut, and, 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 and I tried to rock it and do you proud with my bowl cut as a kid. Um, but my dad, he was my dad's barber, so I started tagging along with him, and that's where I got my comic book addiction. Then the three corner markets became aware to me when I was a little skateboarder, seven year old, okay? And seven and eight years old, and I started buying these and using my allowances and my lawn mowing money and all my chore money to buy comics. And the dollar stretched a lot further back then. It, at least it seemed like it. You know, when comics were 20 cents, that's five for a dollar, right? And that's that's what they were when I was breaking in. And so, uh, so you know, this journey that I started begins in 74. And I am sharing that with you. And because I am so fortunate to have grown up in this time where Star Wars happened, first first adopter of, of Star Wars and Six Million Dollar Man and just pop culture seems to have still be um, living off all the lifelines that are extended from my childhood. So it's just a very fortunate thing. So many guys that I meet now started reading comics 15 years ago, 16 years ago, 20 years ago. A lot of the guys who are producing comics now became fans of comics in the late 80s or the very early to mid 90s, which, I mean, that gives me almost a 20-year jump in some cases on, on so much of the, because the, uh, there's a lot of comics to consume prior to that, okay? If you think there were a lot of comics in the 90s, there were a lot of comics, you know, in the 70s. Those spinner racks were never dry. Those spinner racks were full. They, 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 there was DC Comics, Marvel Comics, Charlton Comics. There was obviously Archie Comics. There was, there was Warren Publishing. They had magazines and comic books. So it was a really rich time to be grabbing all this stuff. And then in the early, I mean, literally by 1982, you've got the dawn of the early independent age where it's First Comics, Kimiko, Eclipse, you know, I mean, I mean, just Dark Horse would follow in the late 80s and the mid to late 80s. So, so I mean, again, I, I was just fortunate that I have all this knowledge. You guys, um, I love when you share this with me and some of you literally have told me and showed me your receipts where you go on eBay and buy what I was talking about afterwards. Like the What If series a couple weeks back. And and so a lot of you guys leaned hard into that. Again, there's a What If that I covered on that episode about what if, you know, Captain America hadn't been frozen, hadn't, you know, uh, uh, missed time where he never stopped. And, and he eventually gives the shield and the costume to Bucky Barnes. That's where Bucky first becomes Captain America. Not in some Marvel comic that you picked up in 2005 or 2006, okay? 
or 2007, whatever, post-Civil War, where, and, and, and where Bucky becomes, uh, you know, Captain America. That, that happened in a what-if. That happened in a really cool comic in 1978 that I consumed, where then Steve becomes the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. Very exciting. Extremely exciting stuff. Um, very fresh. But if I tell you about these books, you know, you're going to go out and look for them. And I am, I am, it's not if, I am telling you about these books. The Photo Journal Guide to Marvel Comics, okay? The, the publisher is Gerber, so that, that should satisfy whatever search you're going on. But I casually flipped through Captain America when Marvel started doing Captain America again. And, 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 uh, and, and, and you know, when they, when they graduated Captain America from uh, the, 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 uh, the Tales of Suspense transitioned and became a Captain America proper book. And let me tell you something. There's a lot of Bucky stories in here. Bucky Barnes may have died, but his history and his legacy didn't. And flashbacks and stories with Bucky and their World War II adventures, you know. And and this is the time. Uh, right before I got into comics is when uh, is when Sam Jones becomes the Falcon. And uh, Sam, I'm sorry, Sam Wilson. Sam Wilson becomes the Falcon and hooks up with Captain America. But again, there's there's Bucky imposters. I mean, the Bucky identity, it weighs heavy on Cap. But this is the key. And there's a couple guys who came at me last week, and they were just completely off the mark. I mean, one of my favorite comic books ever, John Byrne, uh, Captain America 255, came out in 1980, uh, depicts a great World War story with Cap and Bucky. And But prior to that, way prior to that, in 1975... So if you, again, you're going to hear these pages turn. In 1975, you hear um, a new book was launched, completely set in World War II, completely uh, detailing the Marvel characters of World War II. They created a team. They were called the Invaders. And to this day, had one of my favorites, John Byrne and George Perez, or even a Jim Starlin, drawn this book, it would be... Um, it would be held in the highest possible regard that we hold comics such as X-Men and the Avengers because the concept was out of this world. You got Captain America, Bucky, Submariner, and uh, the original Human Torch, who I mentioned on the WandaVision episodes we did, and his sidekick, Toro. Cap had a sidekick partner, Bucky, and Human Torch had a mini flaming version of himself called Toro. And we then later got Spitfire, and we got Union Jack, and we got Masterman, and we got Warrior Woman, and these are some phenomenal, phenomenal comic books. And there's over 40 issues of The Invaders, counting the giant size, the the, the, the team up issues, um, and and that's and 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 in these issues, you know, you get uh, Bucky was always. I mean, he's on. He's how many covers is he on here? He's on one. He's on two. He's on three. He's on four. He's on five. Bucky was a featured part of the Invaders. Forty comics times twenty pages. You do the math. That's how many pages that he was featured in from 1975 to I believe 1979, 78 when they when they um, canceled the Invaders. But the Invaders would then live on again in the 90s when they spun it off again, and Bucky is back. And in the meantime. Bucky was the head of a of a team called the Kid Commandos, the Young Allies. If you go and you see Bucky's Wikipedia page, this dude has been in a just a, a ton of comic books and had a ton of affiliations. And I shared with one guy, I said, "Look, man, for somebody who you disregard, who you say that Bucky Barnes died early on in the Captain America saga, well, he's been affiliated with the Avengers, the All Winter Squad, Department X, Invaders, Kid Commandos." the Legion of the Unliving, Thunderbolts, the U.S. Army, the British SAS, and the Young Allies. And he's been partners with Cap, Falcon, and Black Widow. Bucky is a seriously complicated, deep um, character that has resonated with comic fans like myself long before he was revealed to be the Winter Soldier. And we are going to really lean into this Winter Soldier because on Friday, it was, uh, it, it was you know, this letter that the um, that Ed Brubaker, who who identifies as the co-creator of Winter Soldier, along with Steve Epting, he he uh, came forward with a letter, basically saying it's difficult for him to talk about Winter Soldier because at the end of the day he doesn't feel he is given the proper acknowledgement. He says he gets thanks, and he acknowledges that everybody from Kevin Feige to his editor Tom Brevoort have been good to him, but he goes on a slight diatribe about 
his complicated relationship with the Winter Soldier. And um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to directly lean into that in, in just a second here. But Bucky, uh, again, uh, y- y- you know, is, is, is in these comics. He debuts, okay, uh, in March 1941, okay? He goes on to be part of the All-Winner Squad in 1946. He is around circa 1948, okay? And, uh, and, and, and eventually, you know, we, 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 you know, read how, how Bucky passed, okay? And, and Bucky, uh, ceased to, to exist. His death was depicted in a flashback, uh, in Avengers number 56, the, the exact, uh, time that he died. The Avengers 56, by the way, was published in September of 1968. The Invaders series that ran for 40 issues, 40 plus appearances, is, uh, is is launched in 1975. The reason I bring this up again is literally Bucky is on almost every cover. He is in every issue. He is part of this five-person team. Cap, Bucky, Namor, Human Torch, and Toro. Okay, And then all of the different characters that swirl around them. He actually spins off and becomes part of, again, the Kid Commandos. And, and, and so, so Bucky... And, and the thing about Bucky that was always cool in some of these stories, whether it was in the Invaders or these other stories, was that it really, look, he dealt with feelings of inadequacy, being nothing, you know, being overlooked as Cap's sidekick. Um, as I said, in the What If issue in 1978, he is given the moniker of Captain America. It's kind of like a, what would have happened had he not died. And, 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 and so it was kind of like the mantle was passed and we saw what it would look like if he indeed, uh, you know, was... Uh, what, what what got basically what was due to him the Captain America, um, the the Captain America mantle and again that that what if is a is a really a really fun yarn, and uh, you know we 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 tend to forget that this character was rich prior to him uh, donning a robot arm and being brought back from this um, reawakening constantly and and doing these uh, 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 kind of uh, covert operations and, and, and being, you know, a killer. So, so the thing about, about Bucky is that, uh, to not say the name of Joe Simon and Jack Kerbin when we're talking about Bucky Barnes is weird to me. That, I'm, I'm gonna, it, I, that's the word I've chosen to land on. It's weird. It's, it's, it may, maybe also a little curious. Okay. Maybe a little curious, but, but just kind of, just kind of weird in, in, in the fact that, um, you would write a letter talking about how the, the complicated relationship you have with Winter Soldier, as um, Mr. Brubaker did. And really what I want to talk about, because, I mean, look, Ed is a nice guy. I've met him. Obviously a very talented writer. There's no, there's no doubt. Very talented writer. But to write an entire um, multi-paragraph um, discussion about Bucky Barnes and never once uh, mention Joe Simon and Jack Kirby is just, is just weird to me. So I'm going to read some of this. Ed Brubaker, because the Winter Soldier, Captain America, Falcon and the Winter Soldier is coming out on Disney Plus last week. Very appropriately timed. Um, Ed's a smart guy. The, the reason we're talking about this is because this is everywhere. If you Google Ed Brubaker right now, um, this is the news. This He went out and, and, and there's some that say, don't talk to Ed Brubaker about Winter Soldier. Um, why Ed Brubaker doesn't want you to talk to him about Winter Soldier. Uh, Ed Brubaker is sore over Winter Soldier. It says here, Ed uh, expressed uh, that I sadly have very mixed feelings about the Winter Soldier. I'm happy for Sebastian Stan, who I think is both a great guy and a perfect Bucky Winter Soldier. I'm glad to see him getting more screen time. Also, Anthony Mackie is amazing as Falcon and everyone at Marvel Studios that I've ever met all the way up through Kevin Feige have been nothing but kind to me. But at the same time, for the most part, all Steve Epting and I have gotten for creating the Winter Soldier in his storyline is a thanks here or there and over the years, that's become harder and harder to live with. I've even seen higher-ups on the publishing side try to take credit for my work a few times, which is galling, to be clear. I'm not talking about Tom Brevoort, who is a great editor and really helpful. So yes, mixed feelings, and maybe it'll always be like that, but I sure hope not. Work for hire is what it is, and I'm honestly thrilled to have co-created something that's become such a big part of pop culture, or even pop subculture, with all the Bucky Steve slash fiction. And that run on Cap was one of the happiest times in my career, certainly while doing superhero comics. 
Also, I have a great life as a writer, and much of it is because of Cap and the Winter Soldier bringing so many readers to my work. But also, I can't deny feeling a bit sick to my stomach sometimes when my inbox fills my inbox fills up with people wanting comments on the show. So, dot, 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 I'm sure I'll watch it, and you should too if you're a Marvel Universe fan, but I'll probably be waiting a while to check it out myself, so please don't email any, any spoilers. And go give Sebastian Stan lots of love wherever he is online. Okay, this is a very sweet and poignant letter. I don't read it as bitter. My problem with it is it doesn't mention anywhere that Bucky Barnes is created and Sebastian Stan is depicting a character created by Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. Come on, man. Joe Simon and Jack Kirby created Bucky. Okay? They are the first position creators on that character. In First Avenger, Sebastian Stan is depicting a character created by Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. If Sebastian Stan never comes back, he is only a character created by Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. And when he exists again, and he is Bucky Barnes, he is still a character created by Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. The moniker Winter Soldier, this this reawakening character, again, I know of what I speak, Steve Rogers was being reawakened and shut down in My Heroes Reborn universe, again, following a model put forth by Philip K. Dick, the Total Recall was a giant influence. A movie that's been remade, I mean, already had a different version with, with Colin Farrell, right? I mean, and Kate Beckinsale, which I happen to have enjoyed. So, uh, but the original with Schwarzenegger is an absolute classic. But this idea that, I mean, I, I, I so, so here's, here, here's where I'm going to pivot. And, and so this weekend, I'm scrolling like so many of you do. I'm laying down on the couch. I'm having some downtime. I worked my ass off this weekend. I drew covers, interiors. I was just, oh my gosh, I was just completely cranking this stuff out and uh, and, and and just really feeling it, like getting my sea legs back. And then I went and did a store signing and that was for about eight hours and that was exciting and exhilarating. So when I go to my downtime Sunday morning, I'm scrolling and I see on Facebook, people are discussing the uh, Ed Brubaker letter. And one guy just is is going off. He's furious. How dare they not give Ed Brubaker the proper due for Winter Soldier? I mean, it is Sturm and Drang. It is anger. It is fire and brimstone. It's thunder and lightning. This guy is going off. And then I jump down and three comments into it, the guy who made the post on Facebook says, oh, it was just, it was just brought to my attention that, that actually the character of Bucky Barnes was created by Joe Simon and Jack Kirby and not Ed Brubaker. Ding, 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 ding. Ring the bell. There you go. That's what I'm talking about. By omitting the name Simon and Kirby uh, from the, the the Winter Soldier kind of painting that, that thanks is not enough uh, letter, uh, by omitting them, there's an entire generation who maybe just started reading Captain America with Winter Soldier that do not know who Simon and Kirby are. And because their names weren't mentioned, then we don't know who, you know, that, that, that Simon and Kirby were the instigators, the originators of, of Bucky Barnes. I told you guys very clearly, I've read it on uh, uh, several different shows. David, David Michelini, an author you should know, he was the co-creator, the writer, first position guy. Writers are important. That's why I became a writer, to become the first position guy, to become the guy that puts the ideas forth. Uh, he, he, he created the Paul Rudd version of Ant-Man. So, so, so when he didn't create Ant-Man because that's again, you know, Stan and Jack, but, but he created, you know, Mr. Lang. And, and that is who Paul Rudd is, 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 is depicting Scott Lang in the Ant-Man movies. Henry Pym wore the Ant-Man, then Yellow Jacket, then Giant Man, then Goliath, um, but that moniker then became adopted by Scott Lang in a killer story that Michelinie and and and, and, uh, and John Byrne and Bob Layton produced. Okay, and 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 Dave Michelinie also created all sorts of different characters, um, yeah, from, from Venom to Carnage to 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 I, I believe he is part of Taskmaster. It, it's a long list. It's an, it's it's an impressive list. He is a gifted, gifted writer. He wrote so an acclaimed run on Iron Man, an acclaimed run on Spider-Man, an acclaimed run on Avengers. He is ridiculously talented and gifted. He wrote uh, when Venom, the, the Venom movie was coming out with Tom Hardy back, I guess, uh, you know, uh, fall of, of 2018. He wrote a giant thing on Facebook that got shared and got covered by all the media about 
I believe we should start a word called the originator because he doesn't like that he is told that he has to share credit because he claims that he created so many of these characters from whole cloth or he details how he worked out a character such as Scott Lang with Bob Layton. But he says that Venom and Carnage and these other characters came from his imagination, his mind as the writer, as he put it forth, and then it was depicted by an artist or artists. And then he says, while the way that the system was set up, set up, he shares the credit. He feels that he alone is the originator. It's interesting. Well, there is no doubt that Joe Simon and Jack Kirby are, in fact, the originator of Bucky Barnes. He does not exist unless they put him into being. Bucky is all over Marvel Comics in the 70s. Again, between the Captain America stories and the Invaders, then the Invaders come back in the 90s. Uh, Kevin Maguire did a kick-ass uh, after Justice League. He did a kick-ass Captain America um, run a, a prestige format series. He may have written it. I'm not, it, it, it depicts Cap and Bucky and their adventures in World War II. Again, Bucky's on the cover. Bucky's prominently featured. This is 1990, 1991. Bucky is part of the fabric of Captain America. That relationship is deep. It is strong. Cap feels the guilt and always has prior to Winter Soldier. But when you, you, you talk about Sebastian Stan and Bucky and then uh, about the lack of credit do or thanks or whatever. I'm not sure what it is. I'm not, I'm not here to parse it. It's a sweet kind of, it's very well written, but it does not mention Joe Simon and Jack Kirby once, and they are first position on this character. The moniker Winter Soldier belongs to Ed and, um, and Steve Epting. The fact that he is awoken, awakened, and whatever that deal is, whatever that Arrangement worked out with Marvel is whatever that arrangement is, but I am certain that Marvel Comics looked first and foremost and said, if Bucky Barnes is being awakened and doing these covert actions, he is most certainly a product of a Joe Simon and Jack Kirby creation, but now he is taking on this different moniker. Moniker is a great word, okay? And, uh, and, and that best describes who Winter Soldier was during that cool storyline. But then when the Winter Soldier... Because, so Bucky Barnes then says, I'm not going to be a Winter Soldier anymore. That, that, that was a bad guy, okay? I'm going to be Captain America. Take up the shield. I'm now very much embodying the 1978 What If, where Bucky became Captain America. Well, now we're back solely in Joe Simon and Jack Kirby character because they created Bucky. If Bucky is now going to become Captain America, then they've become, they are a merger of two of the most important characters they ever created. So the minute that he is not being, uh, you know, Captain America, I mean, uh, uh, the Winter Soldier, if, if Bucky Barnes is now donning the costume and becoming Captain America, well, then he is fulfilling the, the absolute, uh, you know, artistic vision of their creators. Because Joe Simon and Jack Kirby created Captain America and they created Bucky. And whatever moniker he takes along the way is, is, is a great storyline. But I'm not sure that that is, is deserving of some sort of overarching credit. This character existed in many adventures, in thousands of pages prior to getting a robot arm and becoming this deep state warrior shadow, you know, assailant. Okay. And, and really that's just what I'm trying to, but by not bringing up Joe Simon and Jack Kirby, it does their work a great disservice. Now you go, but Rob, Rob, no, no, no. Let, let me tell you something. People have asked me, they've asked me this weekend, did you create the fourth wall aspect? To Deadpool, it is never anything but an absolute no, that is not my doing. Joe Kelly applied that aspect to Deadpool years after Deadpool had sold millions of copies, been a bestseller, been on toy shelves. Deadpool did not begin with the Joe Kelly run of Deadpool. Deadpool began with New Mutants 98 from my notepad, my sketch pad, my plot, my story, my writing, my depicting of that character, and then all the way through the other five, six times he appeared before I left and then goes into his own miniseries where he wraps up adventures with Zero, Kane, Vanessa, and everybody else I created. Okay, and Zero, sorry, Zero. Um, the, 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 the character of Deadpool broke the fourth wall under Joe Kelly. There will never be a time that I attempt to, in whatever fashion, uh, uh, take that aspect and apply it to me. Um, will I use it if I do the character currently? Sure, you guys seem to enjoy it. Why not? But for me, Deadpool is a wise ass who's a mercenary who will turn on you at the drop of a dime but who has tremendous heart. Another, you know, question I get asked by kids 
Is Deadpool a villain or is he a hero? And I said, what do you want him to be? Because he was created in the gray. He was created just like Boba Fett, just like the Mandalorian. Is he a, is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? Depends on kind of what he's doing at that minute, right? You know, is, is he a bad guy at this moment and then a good guy at the next? Yes, that's, that is by design. That is who Deadpool was. If the only reason that you love Deadpool is because he breaks the fourth wall, that is Joe Kelly. Did I have characters that broke the fourth wall prior? Yes. In 1992, in one million copies of Darker Image, you met Blood Wolf. He turned to the camera. He talked right direct, directly to you. He enacted the very popular fourth wall breaking trope that Keith Giffen had um, mastered, quite frankly, with both Lobo and a character that he did called Ambush Bug. John Byrne had done an entire series of She-Hulk where she turned right into camera and talked to you repeatedly. So the fourth wall trope was always very popular when it was enacted. Joe Kelly put it on top of Deadpool, and that will always be Joe Kelly's contribution. But Deadpool does not exist but for my having him in my head and putting him on a page. Okay? Um, you know, so... so, so when people ask me also, given this Winter Soldier, well, what about Cable? He's Nathan Summers. Yes, he is. Nathan Summers was a baby. He was a baby who had no adventures. Cable was his own character. You fell in love with a character called Cable, a character from the future with mystery. And then there was the radical twist that we added when X-Force 1 launched. After New Mutants 100, when you learned that he was also the villain that he was fighting. You, you then learned in X-Force number 1, a few months later, after the Strife reveal you learned that he had telekinetic powers, that he was trying to hide his true heritage. And that true heritage was that he was an extension of the Summers family. But Chris, Nathan Summers was a baby. A baby that had not had any adventures, any identity whatsoever. So it was a cool backtrack. Now, does Chris Claremont get a piece of Nathan Summers? He does. And he's told me. And we've talked about it. And we've laughed about it. And we've had drinks over it. And he's grabbed my shoulders and he's like, I'm so excited Cable is in the sequel. You know, because of the because of, of of the fact that you you put that Nathan Summers aspect. Yep, Nathan Summers was a baby. Cable was an adult. I backtracked and retrofitted him onto a character he would one day become. But Nathan Summers has no adventures. There is no Nathan Summers action figure. There was no adventures. He wasn't you know taking people out as a two year old or a three year old at the time. So the retrofitting into the legacy of the Summers family was done after the fact. After Cable was indeed established and quite ridiculously popular on his own. I know of what I speak. I live it. I breathe it. I'm part of this world. And, and as I said, I just feel like, you know, in regards to what is the level of authorship due? Again, that is between the creators and the management. And I'm not, I, that's not for me to weigh in on, but it did make me wonder that if at some point I did a story with, with Bucky Barnes and said that, there was a period, maybe five years, maybe a year, that when he was Winter Soldier, he decided to get a boat. And he got a boat and he made it a pirate ship. And he made that pirate ship into the scabbard. And he took on the identity of the scabbard. And he went over to the, the to, to, to Madripoor, where there's nothing but pirates and smugglers. And he hooked up with a beautiful woman in Madripoor. And they started a family and everybody on the South Seas knew that Bucky Barnes was the scabbard. Well, then am I somehow in the mix? If I do that story, am I somehow on equal par with Joe Simon and Jack Kirby? Not in my books. Not, if, not Even if the scabbard with him hanging off that pirate ship and hanging on that dangling, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> hanging that dangling pirate flag, that banister, you know, even if the scabbard is the coolest thing ever and he, and he, and he, and he wears an eye patch and, and, and he shaves his head and the scabbard is the scourge of the seven seas in this, in a period in the sixties, you know, well, and somehow I now adopted into the Bucky Barnes sweepstakes. I don't know. I, I don't think I, I would be, but maybe, maybe you guys would love the scabbard more than anything. If you sense that my tongue is firmly in my cheek right now. Oh, I, I also forgot that he also changed his name from Bucky to Joel. He became Joel, comma, the pirate, comma, the scabbard. And he was the scourge of the seven seas. And, and then one day he decided, this isn't for me. I pissed a lot of pirates off and he reported back and he said, yo, put me back to sleep. I need to go back into the deep sleep and come out as 
Winter Soldier. Um, so so I think I think I was trying to do say that like like Austin Powersy. Um, dun dun dun. So anyway, tongue is firmly planted in cheek here. I hope you enjoyed that little diatribe. But my thing is, come on, man. Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. Sebastian Stan is playing their character, their creation. What is rich about the relationship with Bucky and Steve is the complicated nature that Bucky died, okay? And that Steve feels terribly guilty over it. And then if you reawaken him and he walks into his life and haunts him, that's some great material. But there was somebody that said, you know, this would have all been solved. Uh, Somebody on Twitter took up and said, you know, this whole entire Ed Brubaker thing would have been solved if Winter Soldier was its own character, not connected to Bucky at all. You're right. That would have, except for the fact that we don't care two shits because he wasn't Bucky because the idea of reawakening him and having that emotional resonance that, that Cap had carried in other stories for years from different authors, this guilt that, 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 that on his watch, not so far removed from what happened in Dark Knight where Bruce Wayne has retired as Batman because Dick Grayson died. Now somebody else brought up the Red Hood and J- and Jason Todd and all these other like identities, you guys, I am not well versed in that. I won't step in that other to say that I believe Red the, the, the Red Hood was a character before, way before Jason Todd. And at one point, I know in the comic book community, in the early early Batman adventures, he was he looked like very much he had like a he had, like he had a red dome on his head, a long dome, not a wide dome like Mysterio, and he almost looked like a like a magician, an abracadabra guy. But I can't step into that stuff. But if different characters had different monikers and if the death of the sidekick, has the death of the sidekick or the or the young partner created tremendous emotional baggage for for the lead a la Batman and Robin uh and 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 Captain America and Bucky? Yes, of course. Again, there's 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 those that's that's some deep, thick meat on those bones. And and it's gonna get served up really well no matter how you grill it. And you can add some teriyaki sauce on it. You can add some, uh, oh, what is that sauce that our, our friends like that we just can't stand? It's, um, uh, I want the, oh, it's, it's bougie. Um, um, the, 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 the hollandaise sauce. Okay. Whatever sauce you're putting on that meat, you know, it's going to give you a different spice. Okay. It's going to give you a different flavor. Um, and, uh, and, and the Bernays, is there a Bernays sauce? I think that's it too. Um, look, I, I, I'm not a sauce guy myself. I just watch other people eat, order them off the menu. So the thing is, uh, Whatever your, you know, applications to these characters and their relationships are important because of the consequences that the originators put on them. So my whole thing is, let's give Jack and Joe their due. Uh, Bucky Barnes, Sebastian Stan, First Avenger, is embodying a character created by them. Everything else after um, is still an extension of what they did. So uh, whatever, I, I read the letter that was on a hundred different websites. It was out there for a reason. It was made public. It was shared. I'm not compromising anyone's... Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, no one's trusting me because, you know, that this is out there. It's out there. It's public. It's everywhere. So I figured this would be a great time to address it because again, that guy on Facebook went on a rant about Winter Soldier and how screwed the creators of Winter Soldier are. And then later realized, oh my gosh, there's a first position. Bucky Barnes was actually a creation, a byproduct of uh, Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. And let me tell you, Roy Thomas wrote some great Bucky Barnes interactions and and so did many other authors as as they depicted him over the years because again that was a rich rich complicated relationship from the from the outset and uh you know so so look am I all on board for the show um I am but when I see Sebastian Sam I think of Joe Simon and Jack Kirby and uh then there's no change in my mind on that and and I am I look forward to those future adventures and I look forward to that 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 show kicking all sorts of righteous ass and again, yes, cable was retroactively fed onto a baby, and that worked. And I've, I've, I, I knew it back when I did my deal back in 1990, and it was all part of the plan, a la Strife and Vanessa and Domino and Deadpool and Kane and the hundred and I believe 60 characters that I have uh, that I did character agreements with uh, from the outset of my career. I've told you guys. I looked at those agreements. I said, hey, five percent is worth a shot. You know, if, if it turns out to be nothing, it turns out to be nothing. But if I generated the next Wolverine, then that I did pretty good for the Liefeld family. And again, I've said many times, if I could go back in time and hug 22-year-old Rob Liefeld, I would. My son is going to be 21 this 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 summer. And, and now I know what that looks like to be looking at that. And I see how completely young he is. And my son is an outstanding college student and achiever, not 
the same circumstances that I had at all, kind of the hold on for dear life. Uh, life was pretty rocky with a dad with cancer and tumors and comas and um, just a different existence completely. But I see how young 21 and 22 looks like. And I am very satisfied with my young self that I took I took a dive. No, I, I, I didn't take a dive. <laughs> I took a chance on me. I took a uh, I took a shot on my own creation, my own imagination. And the one thing that Ed is absolutely, uh, you know, 100% on the money about is uh, is that his writing on that book put him on the map and created all these killer uh, creator owner cr- creator owned concepts in the same way that I took my success from New Mutants and X Force and created Brigade Blood Strike Prophet Glory Supreme Young Blood um, Blood Wolf the Berserkers all this stuff really really fun exceptional um, things can happen when you grab the attention of everybody and that story will never not be Ed Brubaker's classic Captain America canon, just like Secret Empire, just like I have Heroes Reborn, um, you know, just like there are so many great Captain America storylines there. It is one of the, if not the classic, but let's not kid ourselves. Sebastian Stan is playing a character created by Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. And if in fact he does at some point become Captain America, then it is a merger of those two visions. Um, Stan Lee and Gene Colan created Sam Wilson, created the Falcon. When Falcon became Captain America, he didn't, Stan and Gene did not suddenly become the inheritors of the Captain America creative ownership, creator ownership. No one who ever becomes Captain America suddenly does not adopt that. And it's this entire world of derivatives that we're living in now. You know, you can give me seven Spider-Mans, but if they have the Spider-Man costume on, I don't care if it's orange and pink and black and blue and red and yellow, he is Spider-Man. Spider-Man belongs to the creative minds of Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. If you are doing a Spider-Man, no matter who that Spider-Man is underneath that, the Spider-Man belongs to Stan and Steve. They are the originators, the creators. We love Spider-Man because of them. They gave us those first 30 amazing issues with that incredible cast, supporting cast, villains, J. Jonah Jameson, all of it. Everything that is spun off from there is a debt of gratitude to them. That's how I see it. You can play in George Lucas's uh, playground all you want, but he created Star Wars. Those are his worlds. That's that's his galaxy. If you want to drop a planet in it and, and give some cool character, that's great, but that happened in, in his playground. That, that, that fence around that playground is George Lucas's playground. You are a beneficiary of it. And uh, again, this is just how I see things. I've been doing this a long time. I negotiated deals for myself. I, I, I have um, backtracked characters into existing identities. Mine happened to be a baby. Um, so so it, it worked out for me. It worked out very well. The, uh, the, the long and the short of it, and that's how it stood since the early 90s. I mean, th- th- like 1989 is when I introduced Cable and when I sold him to Marvel. And then later on, the decision was made to, you know, uh, make him uh, a character that you haven't yet seen yet. An and, and, and extension of this small baby character. Again, I just love saying baby, baby character. So um, we're going to go back to where we started with the Snyder Cut Justice League. I'm sure it got monster numbers. Everyone I knew on planet Earth was watching it in some form or another uh, this weekend, I got just numerous texts from all sorts of friends, adults, kids, families, and they were all digging it and they were all watching it. So I'm certain that it has done gigantic, massive, impressive numbers. But uh, I'm not so sure that Warners knows what to do going forward. Uh, what they should do, as I said two podcasts ago, is give Zach his own portal. Here's what I don't understand. You can't really escape the Snyder versus Gal Gadot and Jason Momoa are going to continue to do Wonder Woman and Aquaman sequels for you. Because Zack cast them. They exist as those characters. You want to talk originator. He's the guy that said, I'm going with Momoa. That's not an executive that came to him and said, hey, what do you think about Jason Momoa? That's Zack Snyder going, I think this guy with an island heritage is the perfect way to go with Iron Man. And we all had to learn how right he was. He was right on the money. Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman has turned out to be a casting for the ages, much like Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool and Hugh Jackman as Wolverine and Tony Stark as Iron Man. It's just the perfect fit. She's she's fantastic. She embodies the character and 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 is 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 literally my favorite version of Wonder Woman. And 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 Linda Carter, love you to death, grew up with you. You have gone to position number two. Gal Gadot 
is the, the, the reigning champ. She is so amazing in that role. Those are a product of Zack Snyder's creative instincts, intuitiveness, his talent, and casting matters, you guys. It is so ridiculously important. And uh, so as they continue to build out those characters and make more of them, we are seeing an extension of his creativity. So how do you not give him a portal, a window, a doorway, a gate that is his own universe? I mean, it's kind of like he has his own Sony or Fox fiefdom using their dominions over the characters that they had from Marvel. Sony currently has dominion over the Spider-Man universe. The Venom movie, the Mobius movie, the Miles Morales, the, the Oscar winning, the Academy Award winning into the Spider-Verse was created by Sony and talent for Sony. And there's not, other than Marvel's uh, you know, entertainment name being on it, they did not produce a frame of Into the Spider-Verse. That is a Lord and Miller Sony production. And, uh, and, and again, it, it won an Academy Award, the highest achievement. It's, it's, I mean, it, it completely spiked the ball. And, uh, so, so Sony and, and they want to make a Craven movie and they want to make a Madam Web movie and they want to make a Silver Sable movie. I mean, we, we've all read the same releases. We're all aware of how much they look to exploit the very rich Spider-Verse, Puma. I mean, all of the different anti-heroes, villains, there's a lot of gray in that world. They can continue to build that out. And if they continue to bring the same level that they did into the Spider-Verse and learn from some of the mistakes made on Venom and, and get that in the right direction, they're going to do very well for themselves. Mobius looks very, very good to me. It looks extremely entertaining. So in the same way Fox gave us Hugh Jackman and Ryan Reynolds and Josh Brolin as Cable, um, Zazie Beetz as Domino. I mean, they were firing on all cylinders before Disney bought them out. And as I've been told many times, Disney bought them out because Disney was tired of dealing. Those are, as one executive told me, the reason you buy, Disney buys Fox. And for that rich Marvel catalog is those are, those are dates on the calendar. When you open a movie, you suddenly have a couple weeks in, 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 in regards to your release. And, and the effect that that has, 14, 21 days, maybe longer that you affect the box office that a competitor has to get out of the way. Maybe can't open their own film. It's that 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 speaks to marketing dollars. That speaks to billboards. That speaks to internet ads, TV TV ads, and now it speaks to streaming. So consuming that Fox library, it was rivaling them. Whether it was box office at the dollar at, at, at dollars at the box office or a theatrical window that had to be adhered to, and IMAX screens that got scooped up for 21 days per whatever agreement that Fox made on Deadpool 2 with IMAX or with the AMC chain or with the Regal chain. Now dead, now now Disney controls so much more of that than they ever did. The reason I'm leaning real into, into these different versions, these fiefdoms is what I'm calling them, that these little villages of Marvel that Marvel didn't control and still don't doesn't as con, in, in regards to Sony is there's no reason that Warner shouldn't write that check, give Snyder, say, here's your territory. This is where you can go with this. The Jared Leto Batman, I mean, the Jared Leto Joker, the Ben Affleck Batman, all of this is an extension of what you started with Gal and Jason and Henry Cavill as Man of Steel, as Superman. And we're going to, we'll release a movie from you every two years. We'll release a streaming show. There's no reason that isn't happening. And the fans who, who rallied and showed their support and showed that they were a viable uh, and valuable, more than viable to a studio executive into a business. It's the value you brought. Were you going to spend your money? Were you going to buy that subscription? Are you going to pay for that ticket in the theaters? That's what Warner Brothers has to reconcile with. And how pissed will we be if they just leave just sleep at the side of the road and say goodbye and try and move on with Gal and Jason without Zach? That will like suck for me as a fan because I've enjoyed so much, as you've seen, from two dedicated podcast to Zach's filmography and then his Justice League. You know how much I love Man of Steel. You know how much I've, I love Watchmen. Zach has done nothing but but write by Warner Brothers and DC Comics and they should reward him. And Justice League showed me that there should definitely be more to come. They should definitely give him his own uh, village. If J.J. Abrams is doing some certain stuff, then you keep that and parse it away from Scott, from, 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 from Zach and give Snyder his own, you know, universe to play with, his own release windows, his own streaming platforms. You know I mean, they're always going to be owned by AT&T, you know, now that Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman are part of the AT&T portfolio, but there is no reason that just like the comic books, there's Detective, there's Dark Knight, there's Batman, there's the Batman family, there's Brave and the Bold, 
There's Batgirl, there's Joker, there's all sorts of spinoffs. There's no reason there should not be the exact same with this Zack Snyder vision. He is a visionary with these characters. I enjoy them so much. All of my friends, with a few exceptions, really completely dug this stuff, completely ate it up. I think it's doing huge numbers. It, 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 we continue to need to show our value as fans. You have the power. Fans have the power. They always have. It's no secret. And now they can't buy enough ads on Thursday night to, 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 uh, to, to, you know, uh, you know, shepherd us into the theater. They can't, that used to be the, 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 the tact was, you got the big Thursday night shows. You spend as much as you possibly could on Thursday night to get them standing in line on a Friday, whether it was ads on Friends or Seinfeld or ER or whatever show was was the number one show. Now, with networks and streaming so spread out and a thousand channels, that's not as easy for them to do. But we can still stand in unison as one and make our vote be known. And that is where we have our most value and we will always have our most value. And I speak as one of you because I am. Because I'm always going to be that kid at the barbershop that traded Archie Comics for Fantastic Fours, period, end of story, and that's how it is. You guys, what a fun time. What a great time we had today. The creator authorship is a very interesting concept. I will always side with the originators, especially when their names are Joe Simon and Jack Kirby, and I will always, um, you know, uh, just just un- understand that I need them to be mentioned. That That's my thing, okay? And uh, Snyder, give him more, period, you know? Let's do that. Uh, We will revisit some of these topics as they continue to come up. This is really rich material to continue to discuss. I cannot believe this is like the topics on the table are Marvel and DC characters because they're the biggest, they're they're the biggest profiles in in the entertainment world now. They have just eclipsed any and all around them. I mean, I just cannot, I will always pinch myself and, and, and be completely impressed that, that these characters carry the stature that they do today. So much more to talk about, much uh, much sooner than you could possibly imagine. I am all over social media. I am on Instagram, at Rob Liefeld, at Rob Liefeld on Instagram. I am at Robert Liefeld on Twitter. I'm all over Facebook, social media. Uh, I, I read your posts. Um, I love to interact with you guys. Um, you guys give me some great material sometimes. Thank you for meeting me at these signings, for greeting me, for talking to me, for telling me how much you're learning, for how much you're enjoying the show. I am just here to share my experiences. If that somehow builds out your knowledge of the comic universe, then I am so exactly, I am so thankful. I come here representing the truth. I am giving you the history of comics as they were presented. And if you started reading the comics in 1990 and you missed everything that came before, I'm happy to discuss it with you. I love it. Thank you for hanging out with me. Please remember to recommend this show. Subscribe to this podcast. um, Spread the word. Thank you for your positive reviews. Thank you for the great word of mouth. We continue to grow. I am so excited to expand and to grab um, new listeners. And, And you guys share the catalog. There's almost 90 episodes of this show, a show born out of the loneliness of a pandemic, okay? So you guys, you know the drill. What are you going to do? You are going to take care of yourself and you are going to stay safe and we are going to talk again real soon.